Thank you, Mark. In your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament if you need to be reminded of that. 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you'll turn there, we'll begin reading there in a little bit. I want to remind you that next Sunday is our fifth Sunday. Our menu will be chicken cordon bleu and all the works that goes with that. And so if you want to be a part of that mealtime, uh, please sign up at the Welcome Center today so we can start having an accurate count of how much food that we need to prepare. But again, that's next Sunday, fifth Sunday. Uh, we'll have chicken cordon bleu, and so make plans uh, to be a part of our time together. When you hear the word worship, what pops into your mind? Worship. What do you think of? Maybe you think of singing. Maybe you think of taking the Lord's Supper. What clothes will I wear to worship? Bowing our heads, closing our eyes, the Lord's Supper, lifting our hands, standing, kneeling, sitting, laughing, crying, coming into this auditorium. I mean, what do you think of when you think of worship? One day, Jesus was walking down the street. guy comes up to him and says, Lord, what's the most important command in the entire Bible? And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. This is the most important thing, and if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this this morning. This summarizes the whole Bible, okay? It's the most important. Matthew chapter 22, he says, love the Lord your God, and he says that's the first and the greatest commandment. Now, that's interesting, and I think what we need to do is in our minds or in your Bibles, circle that word first. And also circle the word greatest. Okay? And then I want you to think about this. In life, what God has created us to do, and what we're supposed to do in life, we're supposed to learn to love God back. Because in essence, what he tells us, really, the whole message of Scripture is this. I made you I love you, I know you, and I want you to know and love me back. I mean, I want that thought to kind of get in your mind this morning. Isn't that a great thought to know that God loves you? I mean, you can wonder in life and you can think about all the people that may not love you, but rest assured of this, God loves you. And he wants you in your life, in your very being, with everything you've got, he wants you to love him back. Now, there's a word for this, and it's a word that we misunderstand a lot of times, and it's that word worship. And so, at the outset this morning, here's what I really want you to get in your mind. And that is, worship is knowing and loving God back. Now, let me say that again. Worship is knowing and loving God back. Now the problem is, we misunderstand that. And as all of those things that I named at the beginning just a few moments ago, worship is far, far more than something that we do in church. 
After all, as we've learned in, the, in our study on the Believe series, is the church a building? That's a question. Is the church a place? Who is the church? We're the church. Now, we come to this place, but could we go to another place and worship? What if we decided, now buckle your seatbelt for this one, what if we decided next Sunday that we're not going to worship in this place, but we're going to go to Pat May's Lake? Is that, can we go worship there? See, a lot of times we have confined worship to the place that we're used to going over and over and over again. And that's fine. When we come to this place, we do engage in worship, but worship is far more than what takes place in this room. Amen? Worship is the very life and the very essence of who we are. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now listen to this. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I want you to get this thought in your mind. Not only is worship knowing and loving God back, but when you stop and think about it, we were created to worship God. Okay? We were created in the image of God, but also were created to give worship back to the one who created us. That's our highest priority in life. That's the number one purpose in life. And so every weekend as we gather here, we believe and we understand, I hope, that God is the audience. Worship is not that God is here for us, but that we are here for God. I love what theologian A.W. Tozer said. He said, worship is the missing jewel of the church. I love that thought. And so when you think about worship, I want to give you a simple definition for the practice of worship, and it's this. It's attributing worth to someone or to something. And so when you translate that word from its biblical roots into English, translators settled on this word, worth-ship. So in essence, what we say every time we come together is that worship is not some earthly event that we attend, but it's a heavenly activity in which we take part. Have you noticed all the songs that we've sung this morning? Praise him, praise Him, to glory, to be all to God. I mean, all this thought and the glory and the strength and the honor and the praise all goes to who? To God, not ourself. And so we just are invited to participate in that and to be a part of that as we worship the one who created us and who breathed life into us. And so regardless of the method of praise, whether singing or speaking or some physical expression, we are both believing of Him and we are communicating to Him this one message, and it's this. God, you are worthy. Say that this morning, church. God, you are worthy. He's worthy of all. He's worthy of everything, right? Now, 
are there moments in our life where we just don't feel that? Are there moments in our life where we just don't understand that? Are there moments in our life where we just don't get that? Yes, there are. So now you can breathe a big sigh of relief. You're not the, <laughs> there you go, Charles. You're not the only one that's had that thought, okay? But you know what? Here's what I want to suggest to us this morning. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you're not in the mood, even when you don't want to, you can still worship God. You know why? Because God understands all of that. God understands you and your heart and your feelings better than anyone else. And because He understands that, He accepts our worship for who we are. And he understands all those things that we go through in life and even in those moments where we don't want to be here and even in those moments where we just don't feel like worshiping, I'm encouraging us today, worship anyway. Because during that moment, I promise you, if you will give your heart over to God and let Him work, God will mold you and shape you in such a way that you will leave that place or leave that moment of time you will leave different because you have encountered God. And anytime we encounter God, shouldn't we be changed? Shouldn't we be transformed into something way beyond ourselves? And so worship expresses that relationship that we have with God. And church, I want to suggest this morning that the stronger the relationship and the deeper the intimacy that we have with God, the greater the worship. The stronger that the relationship is there, the deeper that the intimacy is there. You know what, Mark and Keith and all those who lead us in our singing, we're not going to have to ever say, sing out, church. We should never have to say that, should we? Because we were created to praise and to worship God. And so every time we open the songbook or we look at the screen or we lift our voice in praise and worship to God, whether you know the song or not, get to know it. Learn it. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's about giving worth to God and worship Him alone. Now, do we have preferences? Yes, we do. Are there some songs that we prefer over others? Yes. I love to sing. There's some songs that I prefer over others. That's my prerogative. That's your prerogative, right? But I also learned this. In a time of worship, in a state of worship, if I know that if I sing Roll the Gospel Chariot along and that speaks to a two-year-old, we need to sing that song loud. If it's standing on holy ground, sing it. Our God is alive, sing it. In Christ alone, sing it. Oh Lord, our Lord, that's a hard song to sing. Sing it anyway. Why? Because we're giving praise and honor and glory to the one who created us. And you might even realize this. When we sing those songs, if I know that it lifts the teenagers up to sing a certain song, we need to sing it. 
and we don't need to sit there with a scowl and think, well, I don't know that song, so I'm not going to sing that one. Oh, don't. I, you really do. You kind of look like that sometimes. Okay? I mean, what would you think if I got up here every Sunday and I said, well, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I mean, it, is that contagious? No. I mean, that sends a message that I just really don't want to be here. Right? Church, it's not about us, is it? It's about attributing worth to someone greater than who we are, and it's Almighty God. And so worship is this active response to God whereby we declare His worth. Worship is not passive, it's participative. Worship is not just a feeling, it's a decision. It's not simply a mood, it's a response. And so, sometimes... We're moved to cry during a song, of all things. Have you ever cried during a song? Don't lie to me, because I know you have. I do. Now, why do we do that? It touches us. Maybe we think about a certain place where we've worshipped with our grandparents or Aunt Knuckles or whatever, and, and that song brings back a memory. It moves us with tears, right? Sometimes we're, we're moved to... To raise our hands. Sometimes we're moved to bow. Sometimes we're moved to clap. And last time I checked, when I read Scripture, all of those things are permissible. All of those things are okay. And even in the vision that we've casted as a church, what we want to do as God's people is we want in our hearts to connect to God. And in one way that we do that is through sincere worship. That means it's not just going through the motions, but that means it's a heart that we want to be sincere, not just with God, but we want to be sincere with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if that means that you need to do any of those expressions, and some just may choose to just be there, that's okay. Let's praise God in the midst of all of that. Instead of wondering, well, I wonder why Mark raised his hand this morning. You know what? That's between Mark and God. And if I choose to not raise my hand, that's between me and God, right? But I long for the day, as we talked about last week, when we can give people benefit of the doubt and just think, you know what? Whether they raise their hands or clap or sit or stand or cry or whatever, they're praising God in the way that they've chosen to praise God in. Let's be a part of that. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David visits Obed-Edom's house to retrieve the ark, which he and his men successfully returned to Jerusalem through the proper transport and sacrifice, and they've obeyed the Lord's instructions in detail about that. And so as you work through that passage, as David comes into the city, into the presence of all the people, he is filled with gratitude to God to have the ark and to place that ark in its rightful place. And so 
he proceeds to strip off his clothes right down to a linen ephod, an undergarment commonly worn by men who assisted the priests in their different religious exercises. And so in David's choice of apparel, here's what was really taking place. He was humbling himself before God, okay? And at the same time, he is expressing this great praise to God through his outward actions. Now I want to start in verse 12. King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and he fattened a calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might. There's an expression I left out a minute ago, okay? Just kidding. But that's seriously what he did. Just want to make sure you're awake. And while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with, Molly, here's your word, shouts and the sound of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, enter in scene two, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now you're probably thinking, why in the world did you choose this passage for worship? Because I wanted to. And I think it really speaks. There's a lot of different passages. If you want to be exact about it, of all 66 books of the Bible, how many books do you think that you can turn to and see this idea of worship? I could let you think about it all week, or I'll just go ahead and tell you. 27. Okay? 27. And in all of those, what you see is you, you see different things taking place, yes, and you see people worshiping God in their own way, and as Cliff reminded us this morning during our communion time, some of the things we do in our worship to God are acceptable, and some, as he said, discuss God, okay? There's a time and a place for it, right? But do you see what's happening here in this scene? And, and the heart of this passage is not what he's wearing. And I know that's probably what we think about because, I mean, that's what Michael, the, Saul's daughter, I mean, she's embarrassed by his actions and cared more about whether others would be offended than about the authority of God. 
And then I thought about this question. I mean, could Michael have looked out the window, seen the ark, and become so excited about the returning presence of God that she would hurry down and she would join in the celebration of David? I mean, I'll be honest, in, in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. Michael, why didn't you just go down there and celebrate and praise God? But instead, Michael had a choice in her response as well. So while David danced, what did Michael do? Michael despised. But the point is not about what we wear or whether we leap or dance. The heart of the passage, and look at this, is about the heart of the person. And in David's mind, here's the ark. What a blessing it is to be carrying it to its rightful place. And I want to follow all those details, he says in his mind, but at the same time, what's in his heart? A state of worship. He's drawn back to the one who created him, and he's drawn to the point that, man, even in a time like this, I've got to realize this is not about me. This is about God choosing me to be a part of this, and that's beautiful in and of itself. But more than that, what's beautiful about this passage is the heart of David. He's leaping, he's dancing, he's worshiping God in his own way. He's even leading the people to that. You see verse 18 again? And after he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And so... There's some convictions that take place while we worship. And I want to give you some of those. As we worship the God who created us, in essence what we are doing is we are showing God and telling God and letting God see through our life that we believe in the one true God and Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are saying that we believe that God is involved in and cares about our daily lives. We believe that God's provided a way for us to be made right with Him by His grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That's our salvation. These are all just summaries of things that we've talked about. We're agreeing that God's Word guides us and directs our beliefs and actions. We're believing that we have significance because of who we are as a child of God. We're believing that the church is God's primary vehicle to accomplish His purpose on earth. And we believe that our God loves all people and that all people need Jesus as their Savior. Jesus still is the answer for the world today. We believe that everything we are and everything we own belongs to God. Stewardship. We believe there's a heaven. We believe there's a hell. And that Jesus will return to judge all people and establish his kingdom. That's our belief about eternity. And as we see all of these, there's a connection. And there's this deep intertwining of all these beliefs and all these actions. And all of it comes together in the heart of worship. Again, it goes back. To the essence of it we were created 
to worship God. So how are you doing at loving God back? How are you doing at loving others around you? And when you talk about worship, to whom or what do you attribute the most worth in your own life? If that's the essence of worship, I think that's a great question for us to think about. What do you attribute the most worth in your own life? From that passage, do you relate more to David or do you relate more to Michael? Then is the location of your worship, is it confined to a place or is your worship freely displayed in the power of the Spirit? Whether you're in a hospital room for days, whether you're in this place at 3535 Lamar Avenue, whether you're at the lake by the riverside, sometimes in our home, that's still worship. And I'm not saying that that needs to be your place that you worship all the time. I mean, there is something to be said about God's people living together in community of faith. Yes. But let's be challenged to think outside the box and to not confine worship to just a place or what we do. But worship is the very essence of who we are because of God. Praise God that he created us to worship him, right? And I want you to think about those things this morning. And we're going to stand to sing a song of invitation. And I would say this morning, if, if you're giving worth to somebody else or to something more than you are of God, you need to think about that. If you're here and you've never put Christ on in baptism, man, what a beautiful picture of what takes place. Come into his blood, get that spirit that lives within us. What a beautiful thing. And so if you're here today and we can help you in a public way, we want to do that. But if you're here and you just need to leave this place today, I pray that you leave transformed realizing that it's more about God than it is myself. Whatever your needs are today, we stand ready to help you as we stand and as we